Yo, 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 what's up? Everybody out there in Marvel land, welcome to episode 99 of This Week in Marvel. I am Marvel.com editor Ben Morse. Very excited to be here the week before 100. Uh, we've got a great episode in store for you. Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M, is not here. He is in England, hanging out with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, so instead, I've got a very special co-host. We had a lot of names we bounced around, but there's someone specific that you have all been requesting for months and months who has been on the podcast before. It's not been on for a while, so let's welcome him back. I am joined by Blake Garris, and you're all welcome. Yes, Blake Garris is back. It's good to be back, everyone. Where have you been? Uh, I've actually been next to you at the desk. Oh, really? But I was going to say I was in the Catskills. I didn't notice you, so you could have said uh, that, and I would have believed uh, it. I thought you'd been gone for months. Anyways, this week in Marvel is the going official. Great. <laughs> this is the official podcast of Marvel.com. It's the official podcast of Marvel. It's where we talk about all the books, both print and digital, that are coming out this week or that have already come out this week. We cover news. We cover everything from movies to TV to clothes to Blake's life, um, and we do it all with a smile. We'll be joined by Mark Strom later, and then we also this week have one of our special Reading Club editions. Uh, this is a very cool one. We discussed Fantastic Four Unthinkable. In addition to all of your comments, we spoke earlier with Tom Brevoort, Senior VP Executive Editor here at Marvel, who also happens to be the original editor of that book. So he was the editor on Fantastic Four back in the day. He talked for like 40 minutes and had some really cool stories, some really great insights. He had a panini for lunch, and I had one because he had one. Really? Where? Yeah. Uh, downstairs at Cafe Du. Did you see him getting one? You no, I saw it? him eating lunch, and I was like, "What's right. that?" And he's like, "A panini." Did you say it like that? Like I was that? like, "Is blunt?" I was like, "Ooh, a panini!" And he's like, "He's like chicken parm." And I was, I got an eggplant one though. Wow. So how Thanks, was it? Tom, it was great. Yeah. Thanks, Tom, for Blake's lunch. All right. We're kick things off as we always do, talking about the comics on sale this week. You can of course pick them up in print. You can also pick them up online. Go to Marvel.com. We'll tell you how. Starting off with Cable and X-Force number 14, written by Dennis Hopeless, art by Salvador LaRocca. Hope comes back in time. She is thrust into the middle of a fight between the Avengers and X-Force. Cable's powers are going crazy. He's throwing havoc into walls. Uh, the art in this one was really cool. Salvador LaRocca was really getting to let loose a little bit. It was a fun dynamic just because Cable's X-Force is so absurdly overmatched you know they're fighting thor and captain america and scarlet witch and they've got like forge and domino and people have no business but it's really hope's story it's how she's going to save her dad it's a fun issue that's a little tugging at the heartstrings moment their relationship is very cool and really cool havoc moment at the end which sets up the next phase of cable and x-force over in Captain Marvel, number 16, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick with Jen Van Meter and art by Patrick Olaf. This is an Infinity tie-in. Tells another side of what's been going on in Infinity, specifically the battles we've seen alluded to in Infinity number 2 and Avengers number 19. We see Captain Marvel when she was captive of the Builders, how she, Hawkeye, Sunspot, and Cannonball try to get free what they go through. A lot of narrative here. Really our first chance to get a sense of Carol Danvers' head since she surrendered a bunch of her memories a couple issues ago. We see her lash out. Patrick Olaf's art is really nice here. Uh, we get to kind of just understand where Captain Marvel is now as opposed to where she was a few months ago. They actually have scenes in here 
from Infinity Number Two, where the text is the same but the art is different, which is kind of neat. It's always nice to see a different artist try something new. We get some relationship moments between Carol and Spider Woman, who are having issues. Uh, we get some cool stuff with Shang Chi, with Star Brand, with Black Widow. Another awesome Infinity tie-in. What I really like about the Infinity tie-ins is you're getting to see this huge event from every different possible angle, which I think is a really nice way to use the tie-ins. Next, we have Daredevil number 31, written by Mark Wade, art by Chris Somney. Here, I had goosebumps in this book, Benjamin. Yeah. It was that yes, good. Um, <clears throat> you really have, like, I guess Foggy Nelson uses the Daredevil, like, ideal as a way to kind of kind of boost the spirits of everyone in the hospital with him. And I, I don't even think, unless he's faking it, Matt Murdock doesn't know. Nah, he doesn't know. You think he doesn't? Well, know? he's blind. He can't see the T-shirts he's wearing. I, he probably knows, but if he doesn't know, it's really touching. He's not telling him that he's kind of this hero to mm-hmm. all these people, bringing them back out of their doldrums, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, there's a big problem with uh, there's a there's a verdict in the court that doesn't go the way many people expect, and um, as I always say, hijinks ensue. And I would not describe these as hijinks. This is actually a very torn from the headlines issue. A lot of race related oh, yeah. stuff. It's actually some pretty heavy stuff. I was kind of you, you bring up yeah. a good point because I was like shocked that it was this timely. I was too. Actually, um, the case they're looking at, without getting into the specifics, is definitely very similar to a high profile right. recent court case. So it was uh, it was interesting to see. This is great. This is why it's Eisner Award winning. Yeah. Uh, the Eisner Award winner in this case being Chris Somney, the artist. Yep. But yeah, it's a, oh, uh, it's a it's 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 a very like you said it's a very torn from the headlines issue. It's very serious stuff. Daredevil has to kind of come up with a way to combat a foe he can't really fight. Uh, it's a guy he's been dealing with the last few issues. Not one guy, but the Sons of the Serpent, who are a race racist group. So it's a different kind of villain. Uh, it's pretty. You know, pushing some buttons, and uh, Mark Wade's doing a good job with mm-hmm. it. Video number three, another big one from Jonathan Hickman, Jerome Opeña, and Dustin Weaver. I cannot believe how good this book is. Um, it's huge, again. I mean, it's like normal size, but it just feels big. The art is gigantic. Hickman's words, more than any other thing I'm reading right now, just feel epic. It's like you're reading like a, you know, a George R.R. R. Martin or something like that. He really puts it down on the page. Um, so where we've come to is after Jason from the Spartax gave away the location of the Galactic Council, the builders are now attacking the Galactic Council and all their allies. Some races are forced to pull out. They don't want to get decimated by the builders. So we lose key members of the Galactic Council. Some stick around and the Avengers now have to take a bigger role. They come up with a plan on how to strike against the builders. And the thing is huge against the builders. The builders is just this crazy threat it's bigger than anything you can imagine so they really know they cannot head-on defeat the builders it's not like when a super villain attacks and they can just punch him out they need to figure out ways to chick away at the armor and that's what they're doing here captain america's strategy thor's power the specialized skills of a lot of avengers but also members of the imperial guard a super scroll gladiator they all come into play here and they come up with a really ingenious plan uh, Starbrand gets to really cut loose, and the pages by Jerome Pena are just amazing. Like, look, it just looks like stuff looks like it's like sculpted out of clay. It's a bunch of posters. Yeah, you're right. Actually, it's a really good way to put it. It's like a bunch of posters just like committed to the page. 
Meanwhile, back on Earth, on a whole separate story drawn by Dustin Weaver, so it really feels like you get two for the price of one, the Black Order is still tracking down uh, the son of Thanos, and we get to see the confrontation between Thanos and Black Bolt. Uh, we get Maximus's involvement, and we get a sense of the next big phase, the next big chapter of Infinity. This ends with a huge double-page thing, and that's awesome. Uses sound effects, everything. Dustin Weaver steps up as well. So Infinity has been phenomenal, just all around. In phenomenal. In, it has been in phenomenal. Very well done, Blake. <laughs> Next, we have Morbius, Living Vampire number nine, written by Joe Keating, art by Richard Elson. This is the end of an era for Morbius, Living Vampire. Is that it is the, the final thing to issue. say? Yeah. I feel bad because I wanted this to keep going because Joe did a great job of making Morbius like a, a character you can actually like, and it's been going through the whole issue or the, the whole series where I just like I want him to do good even though he just can't control some of his demons. Um, the the thing I loved about this issue was that kind of there's this parallel between Becky Barnes and Morbius that kind of just. I know they're, like, you know, close, but, like, she has some of the same issues that he has, and she doesn't have, you know, the problems that he faces, but she has, like, personal, she has, like, human struggles that are similar to Morbius's struggles that are really, you know, it kind of brought me more into the story than, than I normally am, and we're in the book, Ben. Oh, yeah. Joe thanked us at the end of this book. You should just buy it just because our names are in it, even though it's a great story. Even Well, yeah. Besides that, it's a great story. Yeah, this is the wrap-up to Morbius's story, the story of Brownsville, uh, his attempts to kind of integrate in humanity. And, yeah, we get a nice thank you from Joe on the final page. Where it's kind of a nice little essay about what he wanted to do with this book. I would have liked to see this book go longer. Yeah. It was a very different kind of book, but I think in nine issues, Joe and his team did some really cool stuff. It was really... It's an honor to be included in the. You actually deserve to be. I don't know why you included me. You you helped out on it as well. Um, But that's very cool. Joe did a great job. Richard Elson's going places. It's a good book. Yeah, Joe's a great guy. Hopefully, there'll be more to come. Yeah, definitely there will be more to come from Joe. Uh, He's working on Marvel Knights Hulk coming up, and hopefully, more to come after that. New Avengers number 10, another Infinity tie-in. The Infinity train just keeps on going. This really focuses in on what I was talking about from the Infinity issue itself, on the Earthbound stuff, on Black Bolt, on Thanos, on the Black Order, who I love. Uh, It's written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Mike Diodato, who is really stepping up his game here. We see the Black Order continue to pursue the missing son of Thanos to the ends of the earth, but we also see the Illuminati learning what's going on. Black Bolt explains how this son of Thanos came to be. He explains how um, they need to find him. There's some stuff he's doing that the rest of the team is not aware of. Thanos is going out on his own. Thanos punishes one of his Black Order for a perceived failure in the last issue. And the interesting thing, too, about the Illuminati is they take a moment in the midst of all this to sit down at a table and meet, which, number one, I love the fact that Beast is, like, towering over this table. Like, they're all sitting at the table normally. He's just this giant ape. But Reed Richards goes... It's so funny because they're facing this universal crisis. Richard Reed Richards goes, you know, I really haven't stopped to ask how you guys are doing lately, which seems... Just incredibly ill-timed, but uh, Black Panther and Namor are like, hey, we hate each other, Uh, we're at war, and Iron Man's just like, yeah, we should probably get back to business, and Beast talks about, you know, how his priorities, because in the midst of all this, they're also still still dealing with 
the incursions, the other worlds, uh, the basic imminent demise of reality that they've been dealing with. They get an argument on whether they should be focusing on Black Bolt's issues at all. They ultimately decide to help Black Bolt out. They go around the world. Diodato's art is all over the place, and we get another view on the battle between Thanos and the Illuminati. Just a really gorgeous issue and uh, really doing a nice job fleshing out the story going on in Infinity. Next we have Savage Wolverine number 8 written by Zeb Wells, art by Joe Madurera. Madurera. This is what you get out of me folks, missing people's names. Um, I have to say the art here is some of the best art I've probably ever seen. It's I've never seen somebody really just kind of contain Wolverine's just fierce rage on on a page like ever before. Um, and then like a page later, he's back to being the guy that just is like just sulking at having that like brutality in him. Like he really, as you know, Wolverine, he he just like hates that he has this inside of him, but he can't almost can't control it. But anyways, so Wolverine and Elektra have kind of joined forces with Kingpin. Wolverine has been kidnapped. Um, he kind of wants to die. There's one like line in here where it's just like, you know, the problem with healing is I uh, always wake up or whatever. Like he really is, is struggling here. And um, this is a pretty intense story. I don't want to ruin anything because there's some stuff going on. Anything? No, man, it's all good. You, you got well. There's some insane fights in this issue. Yeah. Uh, some of these new characters that Zeb Wells came up with, the Arbiters, and the just these spread pages, like you said, with Joe Madrera really cutting loose. It's it's really some of his most impressive stuff. Mm -hmm. It's really good. All right, moving forward to Secret Avengers number nine. This was a great issue. This is a very different kind of comic this week. This is the kind of comic I've been really getting into. Um, written by Nick Spencer, art by Butch Geis. Uh, I like that we can do this. We can kind of pull away from the super heroics and dig into an organization like S.H.I.E.L.D. This is, and Nick Spencer's really good at this, kind of telling these stories over time. So, you know, we've been in the action of Secret Avengers, but now he pulls back and says, all right, here's what's been going on with Daisy Johnson, kind of in between the scenes I've already told. So we see what happened when Daisy Johnson was first trying to assume command of S.H.I.E.L.D. and how the Secret Avengers got created. We see the fallout of Rev Ralston's death and what set Daisy Johnson on her path. We see her recruit Manifold, uh, her former, former Secret Warriors buddy from over in Avengers, and she has a plan for how she's going to protect herself from something that took place earlier in the book. It's a lot of Daisy Johnson versus Maria Hill stuff. Uh, it's a lot of Daisy Johnson taking risks, a lot of new status quo stuff for her and because it's all black ops dirty dark stuff butch guys is the perfect artist for it the last three pages were amazing it's perfectly paced building to a big reveal of a character we haven't seen in a little bit who's going to be playing a part in this book and i actually flipped i don't usually do this i flipped back and forth between the second and last page a bunch of times because i was crazy. so excited yeah. to see this character who hasn't gone that long but uh, the way Nick Spencer brings it in, it's just kind of like it's one of those, you know, if you're in a movie theater, stand up and cheer moments. So big props to uh, Secret Avengers this week. I really, really enjoyed this issue. Next we have Superior Carnage, uh, written by Kevin Shinnick, art by Steven Segovia. And here we have the Wizard and Claw have um, basically 
they think they've taken over Carnage and created, as you see, Superior Carnage. And this is this is the first time you see him as Superior Carnage, correct? Yeah. This is insane. I want to buy this action figure <laughs> immediately because Carnage is the greatest villain in comic book history. You do love Carnage. Yes. I forgot about that. And it, it also... It, it really holds true to what Carnage is. I mean, he's a serial killer, and you can tell Wizard really thinks he has control of Carnage, but does he? Because Carnage is a manipulator, and something's going to happen here that I don't think is going to be really good for the Wizard. And there's a twist at the end that is just going to like blow your mind. This character, I don't really like him right now. I used to like him, and he comes to save the day. He's a hero. I'm not going to ruin it, but it knocked my socks off. Are they off right now? Uh, no, they're on. It on. knocked them off before. I put them back on. Got it. But this Carnage is uh, here to stay. Superior yeah. Carnage is here to stay. Nice. Yeah. Oh, next we have Superior Spider-Man, number 18, written by Dan Slott, art by Ryan Stegman. As Ben knows, I am one of the biggest um, Spider-Man 2099 fans in the world. What happened last time Dan Slott came to the office to visit? Uh, we're not friends anymore. I'm a fan now because I geeked out over him because he was working with Spider-Man 2099. Yeah. And the same thing happened with uh, Ryan Stegman when I got on Twitter and told him to draw my face on uh, Spider-Man 2099's body. We have not that. spoken on Twitter since. He didn't even <laughs> respond to me. You guys used to be buddies. We used to be buddies. Yeah. Um, What's going on in this issue? Well, in this issue, uh, Superior Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2099 are battling, and it's really interesting to see. It's basically, Doc Ock kind of has... He's got his number. Is mm -hmm. that what they say? Yeah. He's uh, 2099 has a... You know, just a far advanced suit than Doc Ock has created, and um, he's trying to. Twenty Nine is basically here to save his what great grandfather. He's just his grandfather. His grandfather. Yeah. And you, it's kind of cool because every time his father, his this is a convoluted, great story by Dan. His father, no, his grandson. Spider-Man 2099's father? Yes. Talking about the guys blinking in and out? This guy. That is that is Spider-Man 2099's grandfather. His grandfather. So when he gets in danger, Spider-Man 2099's father, yeah. who's still in the future, who's communicating with him, starts like blinking in and out. Yeah. And he's like, it's like he's back like to the future. Withering away. That's what I wanted to say, but every time I always compared stuff to it, you'd be like, no, cut it out. I so I left that part the, out. I haven't done that once this episode. This episode. <laughs> but no, it's really awesome, and it did remind me of Back to the Future. But, um, yeah, it's really cool. And the, and the grandfather kind of gets pretty arrogant and, and wants to know. He thinks he knows why Spider-Man 2099 is here. And he can't tell him because that could change the course of fate, kind of like Back to the Future. This is cool because Dan, I know Dan, like we said, we know him personally. And he loves time travel stuff. Yeah. So he's the perfect person to be doing anything regarding time travel. And I don't know if you guys brought this up before, but it's true. So pick this book up because he knows time travel. And Spider-Man 2099 is his best character ever. 
All right, Thor God of Thunder, number 13, part one of The Accursed, big storyline written by Jason Aaron. Beautiful art by Ron Garney, who gets a whole new kind of sheen to him because he has Eve's Svorsina uh, doing the colors, and it just lends a whole new thing. This is the return of Malekith, classic Thor villain, also happens to be one of the villains in Thor the Dark World that is coming out in November to the big screen. So Malekith, who has been gone for a while, gets free. His Dark Elves help free him, and this is just a crazy, loony, sadistic villain. Uh, Definitely a flip from Gore the God Butcher, who Thor has been dealing with for the first year of his new book. This is a guy who doesn't really have you know a dedicated quest he's not so dour and dedicated he's just you know a maniac uh thor gets wind of what's going on there's some really cool stuff with thor back in asgard with the warriors three and sith this is a fantastic warriors three issue jason aaron really knows how to write volstag which is always a fun bit thor and the warriors three go after melkith what they find is pretty disturbing, and they realize they have a much bigger problem on their hands than what they thought. So this should be the kickoff to another great art. This book is consistently one of the best ones every month. Thunderbolts number 15 by Charles Soule and Hefte Paulo, another Infinity Sign. I just read it uh, late last night, actually. This is actually very funny. It's very dark humor. It's edited by Jordan White, who we just saw on the way in here. Uh, you've got the Thunderbolts agreeing to help Punisher take out a mob family. So they're trying to do this in New York, but they're at complete odds. Uh, Deadpool doesn't want to wait in traffic while they're driving there, so he goes and takes the subway. Red Hulk and Leader are bickering on their submarine. Elektra, Venom, and Punisher all differ in their ways to get things done. Venom basically is like, hey, I'm not going to kill anyone. Punisher's like, that's great. And then when he turns around, blows everyone up. So you got all this going on, and then you have Thanos' ships come in. So you've got this great kind of dark humor funny story going on with this this mob story and now next issue there's going to be aliens involved so it's going to get even better right over in Ultimate Comics X-Men number 31 written by Brian Wood art by Alvaro Martinez World War X continues you got Kitty Pryde making some moves on her side of the world in Utopia to try to strengthen what's going on with them you have Jean Grey going a little crazy and uh, making some weird decisions over in Tian. These two mutant groups are coming together. It was kind of, as I read this, I was thinking back to when I first started reading Ultimate X-Men way, way back in the day, and a lot of these characters are the same characters. Kitty, Colossus, Storm, Jean Grey, and seeing how they relate to each other now, because they do call back a few times here to the early days, which is kind of crazy to see how far they've come and how far they've evolved, and this is a really interesting book that Brian Wood has put together, just in terms of the politics and the relationships, and it's very complex. Next, we have Uncanny X-Men number 12, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Chris Bacallo. Uh Here we have Hank McCoy, Beast, is trying to basically get the five original X-Men back to their original place. Timeline, yeah. Timeline. And um, the original X-Men are kind of worried. and I think Jean Grey mostly is just kind of like, I don't feel comfortable with this right now, so she right. goes well, to. She knows what happens. Yeah, if she goes back. So she goes to um, uh, Cyclops of the present and the X Men now with with Magneto and all of them, and it's kind of the thing that I love most about this story was seeing the future characters. That kind of freaked me out. Oh yeah. 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 I thought you were okay? gonna say something. But it was really cool to see, like, I don't know, I haven't been keeping up with this as much as I should, 
But um, have they been showing these? What, the future X-Men? Yeah. They just showed up a couple issues ago. This is so awesome. Yeah. Uh, you, like, need, you need to go back and read this whole story because they introduced them and everything. They were future awesome. Deadpool is yeah. like, I want to get an action figure of him. Yep. And then I want an action figure of Future Beast. Yeah. You want a lot of action figures. Um, do you like Future Iceman? He's one of your favorites. He's kind of crazy. Look, he's like a big Hulk Iceman. Yeah, I do like him. I think it's, a different, it's different. This is a really good turning point to see it's almost like scott summers is kind of becoming the hero he used to be the little bit scott summers of now and he's actually like making decisions that aren't you know off like his chest or whatever like he's thinking about them and it's kind of he's getting in the right direction and i can't say it's a there's a twist that's Big twist his response is the twist to me yeah yeah and angel's still sad Angel is sad. And there's a yeah. great ending to the book, too. But yeah, another very... That, that whole story's been good. You should go back and read that whole I thing. I will. Will you? Good. Maybe. I hope you will. Yeah, I will. Yeah, you will. Next, we have Venom, number 41, written by Colin Bunn, art by Jorge Caleo. I said that right? I think so. Man, this is awesome. All right, so we have... We have um, Flash Thompson, and we have... What's her name? Mania. Mania. Yeah. The... The interesting part about this story to me is that Flash kind of, he kind of starts enjoying kind of like teaching her the ropes, being her like, his like protege. Mm-hmm. Is that, did that seem like that for you? Uh, yeah, definitely. He's, he's getting a little into it, but he doesn't want to. Why, how so? I think he's enjoying it. I think so, but I think in his in his like gut, he knows this girl probably shouldn't be doing this, but he can't help himself. Like, kind of, like, all right, if I'm going to teach her, I'm going to enjoy it. And uh, yeah, I guess you're right. Can I say who this guy is? Yeah. Do we have Crossbones. Has he been in this before? Yeah, he just showed up last issue. This is the first issue that he's really featured in. Well, it's really. I mean, all these issues with. Uh, Venom I've been keeping up with the beginning stages like again Cullen Bunn it's evil and he's like he just writes some of the most depressing <laughs> stuff for characters but he really makes Flash into this warm guy that I never thought I would see as far as Venom and then he just he kind of streamlines him where every once in a while when you think he's going to be this hero this other side of Venom comes out and there's there's always some worry Every issue of Venom I've ever seen, you can always tell the symbiote is going to potentially come back. And this is another example of that. All right, let's finish things up with X-Men Legacy number 17, written by Cy Spurrier, art by Koi Pham. This is the big fight between Legion and Cyclops. It's an ideological fight, but it's also just a physical fist fight. They literally just beat the crap out of each other. It's all narrated by Legion. Some really great wording by Psy, who, you know, has some fun, has some humor in there, but also some really deep stuff about, you know, what Cyclops did to Legion's father, Legion's feelings about his place in the world. And then by the end, the fight degenerates into something that has been foreshadowed since the series began so there's going to be an even bigger fight coming next issue but this is a really fun book ryan and i talk about it all the time love x-men legacy it's an offbeat book if you guys haven't checked it out you should definitely give it a look which brings us to the end of this week's comics so blake what is your twin of the week i have to go with daredevil yeah i really felt emotions and sadness and happiness and 
I felt inspired. Yeah, Daredevil is a really good issue. Um, Infinity, I think, is in a class by itself right now. I think that's just because of crazy stuff. But I really dug Secret Avengers. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like I said, that's just that different kind of writing, the different pacing kind of, and the, those last couple pages really did it for me. Mm-hmm. So a lot of good stuff to check out this week. And in addition to those single issues, collections on sale this week are All New X-Men Volume 3, Out of Their Depth in Hardcover, Inhumans, The Origin of the Inhumans in Trade Paperback, Iron Man Epic Collection, The Enemy Within Trade Paperback, Marvel Masterworks Daredevil Volume 7 Hardcover, Red She-Hulk Volume 2, Route 616 Trade Paperback, Thunderbolts Volume 2, Red Scare Trade Paperback, and Wolverine, The Return of Weapon X Trade Paperback. Over on the Marvel Comics app, everything we just talked about, and also a new Infinite comic out this week, Infinity Against the Tide, number two, starring the Silver Surfer, written by Jason Latour. That's some really cool stuff. You want to give that a look. Additionally available on the app this week, Deadpool, Wade Wilson's War, all four issues. Fantastic Four, the 1997 volume, 51 through 54. Uh, Four issues of Inhumans from 2000. And Strange, starring Doctor Strange, both the 2004 six-issue limited series and the 2009 four-issue limited series. What collections are on the app this week, Blake? Uh, We have All New X-Men Volume 3 out of their depth. We have Avengers vs. X-Men vs. Captain America by Ed Brubaker Volume 4. Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe. Hawkeye Volume 2 Little Hits. Spider-Man Dying Wish. And Uncanny X-Men The Birth of Generation Hope. Meanwhile, new additions to Marvel Unlimited this week are All New X-Men Number 9. Avengers Current Volume Number 12. Cable and X-Force number 6, Captain America, current volume number 5, Indestructible Hulk number 5, Uncanny X-Men, current volume number 3, Wolverine the X-Men number 26, and Extreme X-Men from 2012, number 12. And now is the part of the show where we throw it over to the West Coast, over to Stromy. Do you think he's going to get you his stuff on time this week? Nope. Hey, buddy. All right, Stromy, take it away. Hello there this week in Marvelites. This is Marvel.com Associate Editor Mark Strom, sometimes known as Stromy, coming at you from gorgeous but cooling down Los Angeles with the latest in what is on TV this week in Marvel. Two all-new episodes of Marvel's Hulk and the Agents of Smash and Marvel's Avengers Assemble. Well, rather... One new episode of each for a grand total of two episodes. This all, of course, begins in Inside Marvel Universe on Disney XD at 11 a.m. Eastern Time this Sunday. Kicks off with an all-new episode of Marvel's Hulk and the Agents of Smash entitled The Incredible Shrinking Hulks, which features the leader as the big bad. And when I say big bad, this time I literally mean big bad as the leader shrinks the Hulks down to about an inch tall and they have to work together from there to defeat the leader who is now something like 10,000 times their height. I don't know if that math is correct. In fact, that doesn't sound correct because they'd be 10,000 inches tall. It wasn't great math in school. But... Right after that, we've got an all-new episode of Marvel's Avengers Assemble beginning at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time entitled The Doomstroyer, which you might be able to guess from the title, features both Doctor Doom and the Destroyer, but 
Not only that, we also have Loki. As last time we saw Doom, he was riding the Midgard Serpent into some other dimensional portal. Well, Doom and the Serpent are back. This time Doom has taken control of the Destroyer armor, and Thor has to convince the Avengers that they must trust Loki in order to stop Doom. And, well, as I'm sure you know from many other Thor comics, trusting Loki never quite goes exactly as you planned. But that covers everything that is on the air this week. I will be back with you shortly to give you the rundown on a ton of movies and TV games. All right. Thank you, Mark. That was very insightful. Mark, just living the high life out in sunny California. Back in the high life again. Yep. No rules. Just right. All right, let's share some news for this week. We got a lot of news over on Marvel.com in the world of comics. We spoke to Paul Cornell about his upcoming Wolverine arc, well, actually current Wolverine arc, Killable, what's coming up next for that. We talked to Adam Kubert about creating this awesome acetate cover for Origin 2 Number 1, and my good friend Blake Garris created an animated GIF so that you can see what the action is going to look like when you're flipping that acetate back and forth. Now, it's pronounced GIF, right? Uh, uh, no comment. No, it's pronounced gift. Don't mess with me. Uh, we spoke with James Robinson for the very first time about All New Invaders. That book looks awesome. We got a ton of great Steve Q art that you're not going to see anywhere else. We talked a lot about Inhumanity with various creators who are going to be tying in. Spoke with Jonathan Hickman about New Avengers. Spoke with Bill Roseman, editor of The Awakening. We spoke with Mark Wade about Indestructible Hulk talked to Sam Humphreys about Avengers AI, Brian Michael Bendis about Uncanny X-Men, Avengers Assemble with Kelly Sue DeConnick, and finally Al Ewing on Mighty Avengers. So a lot of big stuff coming to Marvel.com. You got any news, Blake? I actually do. Yeah, tell me about um, it. This week, probably when this podcast comes out, we have interviews with two of the cr- creators of some of the this Marvel Addict series, which is t-shirts designed by graffiti artists from the U.K., and they have the Hulk, they have Captain America, they have Spider-Man, and they have Iron Man, and they're really cool. We'll have images up, and then you get kind of into the mind of some of those guys. They're big Marvel fans from back in the day as well, so um, it's really cool. We also have, there's some Kotobukiya stuff coming out soon, probably not this week, but just keep in touch, and then some um, Diamond Select Minimate news as well that you'll be excited for. All right, and someone who's got more news is Hollywood Mark Strom. Again? Yeah, we gotta go. this is what we do every week. We cut back and forth to him. So, Mark, <laughs> take it away what? again. Welcome back once more this week in Marvelites. Marvel.com associate editor Mark Strom here with tons of movies and TV news from here in sunny Los Angeles and the heart of Marvel Studios. I don't even know where to begin this week. Let's... I'm going to flip a coin and say, let's start with Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which, of course, has its series premiere very soon, just a few short days away, on Tuesday, September 24th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, on ABC. I know I'll be tuning in. I hope you all tune in. And to get you even more excited, we've been bringing you a bunch of new videos that we've put together beginning with some of the fans' reactions from D23 Expo. Some of the fans got to see 
the pilot to the series there and you can hear what they thought of it in a special video we put together. We also have a video interview with co-creator and executive producer Joss Whedon, Lorraine Sink, of course, of The Watcher fame, had a chance to sit down with Joss and go over, well, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and just what we can expect from the series. She also had a chance to sit down with a number of the other casting crew, and we'll be bringing you more of those videos in the lead-up to the series premiere next Tuesday. You can check all those out right now on Marvel.com and our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Marvel. We also had some written prose interviews with Elizabeth Henstridge, who plays Agent Gemma Simmons on the show, as well as, again, co-creator and executive producer Joss Whedon. You can read those right now on Marvel.com. We will be bringing you a brand new episode synopsis from the series. It may already be online as you are listening to this if you are downloading this on Thursday when we put the podcast up. This is for the third episode of the series, so you can check that out right now on Marvel.com. And of course, over the weekend, we brought you the synopsis for the second episode entitled 084. So you can read that right now as well. Oh, before I forget, there was one last piece of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. news this week, namely that the show will, of course, be at New York Comic Con. Beginning October 11th, you can see Agent Coulson's car, Lola, for yourself at the Marvel booth, just as Coulson says, don't touch Lola. And... There will be a Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. panel Saturday, October 12th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, of course, which will be showing off some new footage. There will be special guests. It will be a great time. So if you're going to New York Comic Con, head there, check it out. We have some Thor news, as always, as the release of that movie is about 50 days away now, I think. It seems... Very, very close right now. We have two new posters this week, two new character posters, starring Jamie Alexander as Sif and Natalie Portman as Jane Foster. You can see the Jamie Alexander poster with Sif in the battlefield with her sword drawn exclusively on Marvel.com right now, and we will also be bringing you the Jane Foster poster tomorrow, so you can check both of those out. We also have word of Fandango's fan alerts for Thor The Dark World tickets. You can sign up with a widget right now on Marvel.com. If you go to the homepage, it will be one of those top lead rotators. And you sign up in that widget, and then Fandango sends you an email as soon as tickets are available. So you can be among the very first to get your tickets when they do go on sale. And finally in Thor news, we announced Thor Treasures of Asgard at Disneyland Park. Inside Innoventions, you will be able to see some actual artifacts from Asgard. Well, not actual artifacts from Asgard, as Asgard is a fictional place, but I think you get the gist of it. So you can see that at Disneyland Park beginning November 1st, I believe. 
So, if you are in Southern California, be sure to check that out. I know I will be, and I am very excited. If you were able to see the Iron Man 3 installation in Innoventions, you know they do a really great job with them in immersing you in the experience. And, yeah, go check it out. Wrapping things up, we have, once again, another installment of the Avengers Hold Court, our regular sort of post-game recap of new episodes of Marvel's Avengers Assemble with supervising producer Court Lane. This time we talk about last Sunday's episode, Depth Charge, which featured Atuma attacking New York City as a very Hulk-centric episode. We talk with Court about Atuma, about the Hulk, sort of about the team dynamic and the way the team sees the Hulk. It's a great interview. Go check it out right now on our TV landing on Marvel.com. That's all I've got for this week, so I will send you back to those fine chaps in New York, and I will bid you adieu. I wish you a great weekend, a great week. I will speak to you once more in seven more days, and I thank you for listening. All right, everybody, welcome back, and we are now going to our This Week in Marvel Reading Club selection for the week. This week, we did Fantastic Four, Unthinkable. It was my pick, and... uh, with us, we have a very special guest, the perfect guest for this title, the original editor of that story arc, and good friend of the podcast. I don't know if we're good friends of his, but he's a good friend of ours, uh, Senior VP Executive Editor Tom Brevoort. Thank you, Ben. I think uh, I, I think uh, uh, the podcast is a good friend of mine. You're a friend, the or podcast is a friend of yours? Yes. Very nice. Yes, indeed. Whenever I need to borrow you know, a cup of sugar... <laughs> yep. Or, uh, you know, a, 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 a fancy set of clothes because I have a big thing to go to. I can always count on the podcast to, to, to be there in a pinch. This is going to be a lot of awkward situations down the road for you. I have a feeling if you're relying <laughs> on the podcast to get you those things. Um, all right, I want to talk real quick about Fantastic Four Unthinkable, uh, why I picked it. We hadn't done a Fantastic Four story on the show yet. All right. um, you, of course, were here for one of our other Reading Club episodes. We did Avengers Forever. I, Back in the days when I yeah. made comics that people liked. Yeah, <laughs> that's not true. I, Infinity's getting really good reviews. <laughs> did you see? Ten that, years from now, we'll be here doing the Infinity podcast. Did you see that someone uh, read Infinity because of our podcast? No, Graham McMillan, no less, wow. um, tweeted me this morning. He said, "He said I." was resistant to Infinity, but I listened to your podcast with Tom, and I enjoyed it, so I picked it up, and I like it. All right. So there you go. We sold at least... I don't want to say sold, because I don't know if he got through Nefarious. Someone read it. We convinced one person to read it. Such is the power of the podcast. Yeah, so it makes a difference. But Fantastic Four, I was not a Fantastic Four fan when I was a kid. It was not the best era when I was growing up. It was the 90s. Right. Uh, There were some good stories, but I remember Fantastic Four being kind of... It was not the flagship franchise. It was shoved aside for the X-Men, for Spider-Man, even the Avengers for a lesser extent. Right. So I did not really read Fantastic Four growing up. I watched the 90s cartoon, which uh, which was great. Fantastic yeah, Four. Yeah, the theme song was by far the best part. I loved that theme song. Oh, I hate that theme song. Uh, <laughs> well, that yeah. theme song's like a, like a mnemonic. It gets stuck in your head, and then you can't get rid of it. Well, but you were a legitimate Fantastic Four fan, so that theme song was probably like an affront. <laughs> to me, it was like just, this is hilarious. Brian Austin Green is the human torch. Yeah. But So I got back into comics a little later on, and that was around when... Mark Wade and Mike Warrengo were taking over Fantastic Four, and you guys had the nine-cent first issue. So I was like, well, I can't 
not pick this up, and I was a fan of both creators, so I picked it up, and I really got into it, and that was what made me a Fantastic Four fan. That was really my first Fantastic Four story, and then, of course, I would go back and read the Burn stuff, and eventually, I actually went in a weird reverse, because I read the Burn <laughs> stuff, and then... Read them all backwards, and yeah. it ended with Fantastic yeah. Four 1. Well, this all makes sense now. <laughs> That's just how they got their powers. But yeah, I, you know, I eventually got in the cosmic stuff, but that was, that was my gateway into Fantastic Four and really appreciating it. And I loved, you know, just the way that um, it made Mark and Mike really made the family aspect seem cool to me. Because, you know, as a younger reader, I, I wasn't predisposed to be like, okay, this is, you know, a, a middle-aged couple with kids. I guess they're not middle-aged, but an older <laughs> couple with kids right. and they're a family dynamic and I'm, you know, going away to school and this is not what I want to read about. But they really made it, you know, charming and it really raised the stakes and i was like okay i get why these people care about each other and it's cool to have a book about characters that actually love each other as opposed to just work with each other (laughs) um so obviously you were the editor on the book at the time how long had you been editor when mark and mike came on not long it was probably by the end of the first year and hiring them was was really the first move yeah that i made now, you had a relationship with Mark before that, right? Somewhat. Or was this, or was this kind of like your first big um, I, yeah, yeah, I'd done a story here and there. Mm-hmm. I'd known him from around Marvel when he was right. writing Captain America and other, th- other stuff. Yeah. Certainly from when he was writing Flash before that. Yeah. Um, and at the time, he he was down at CrossGen. Right. I forgot about that. Um and uh, uh, he wasn't the first guy I went to, though. I went to I went to Mike first. All right. Started. I think we started with Mike, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh, interesting. So Ringo was there before Mark. Yeah. It was only a question of a couple of days, but. And Ringo, Ringo was there first. And, and Ringo's a huge part of what made this run work, obviously, because he was able to do that kind of balancing act of style, where he had that cartoony style. Where it's like this can be fun, this can be exotic, but he could really turn on the emotions and oh, the yeah. seriousness when he needed to. And I've always felt artists like that who excel at cartooning, when they do a serious moment, it it means more. It has more weight mm-hmm. because you're used to seeing them draw more fun, exotic stuff. Yeah, he um, was he was worried about it when I first called him up. Uh, yeah, when I first tried to convince him, he'd been doing Superman and not yeah. really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Was, you know, I think he was like on the second or third Superman book. I forget which yeah. adventures. I think it was. I think so too. Um, and and you know, it just was. It was a time that those books were in transition or mm-hmm. whatever, and he just wasn't feeling like what he was doing. And I called him up about Fantastic Four, and he said, "I don't know. I can't see myself doing Fantastic Four. It's such a, you know, it's such a Jack Kirby book." Mm-hmm. And what I told him essentially was, look, when you did The Flash, you came onto that series, and you know before you, you know, Greg LaRocque had drawn it forever, right? Before for him, years. Jackson Geis and so forth, and they had like the look of the Flash, and you came in and you sort of redefined the look of the Flash. Your Flash was like a stockier guy, yeah, sort of, sort of broad. You introduced the idea of the crazy lightning trails and I was things. Say, and that would that to this day, I think. Sticks. And and everybody yeah. that came after you drew it like you, or tried to draw it like you. That's yeah. what you do on Fantastic Four. Right. Come in and draw Fantastic Four, and sort of re envision it your way. You know, not not changing everything, but but you know, bring yourself to it and do it in such a way that once you're done. Everybody that comes afterwards will follow your version, and that's sort of what got him in the door. Yeah, 
And he was one of I I one of this is a silly thing, but I remember, you know, from when I was a kid, Human Torch always had the lines all over his face and his right. body. That was just just the thing. That was from the original <laughs> Kirby stuff. So when right. I came in and saw Ringo drawing it, not like that. I don't think he was the first to move away from that, but for me, that was the first. I was like, "Oh wow, this is this is different." This yeah, is well, that was that was that was that again was very deliberate. Yeah, in that by that point, by two thousand and two, the coloring technologies had improved to yeah. the point where, uh, you know, trying to illustrate a, a flaming figure, a figure that's on fire, mm-hmm. um, you didn't just have to do yeah. you know, the black strided lines to sort of show the passing of flame yeah. or fire up, I'd nev- up the I never understood that as a kid. I know I was like how does this mean that like he's a, on fire? If you look at like a uh, like an old time burner on a like a yeah. an old gas stove and you see how the flame kind of goes around the burner. Yeah. That's I think is the kind of thing that those striations were intended to be yeah. when they were first done in like the 30s. Yeah, I mean it wasn't even burners. to me like this is fire. It was more like oh that's what the human torch looks like. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That became his costume. Yeah. Like he turns red and Lines of yeah. Um so yeah, so that was just, that was that was very very deliberate. Um, you know, we we asked uh, Paul Mounts, the colorist, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know Ringo did less with the figure, left the figure very open mm-hmm. in a lot of places, so that uh, you know Paul could sort of paint the flame in. Mm-hmm. You know, taking a couple of cues maybe from what Alex Ross did in Marvels and the, yeah. the sort of thing. You know, you, you can depict. Uh, a man on fire, uh, you know, so much more spectacularly now. Sure. Uh, with the tech that we've got today, than you could have in the in the '60s or the yeah. '30s. So you got Ringo on board, and did he request Mark? No, no, based I, on their past. Yeah, no, I got him on okay. board, and it was right around that same time. I forget if I'd known about it ahead of time or if it came up during the week or whatever. But uh, Mark uh, had been down at CrossGen. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he uh, had a, had his uh, his parting of the ways with CrossGen, sure. uh, and I think I was like the first guy to get him on the phone after you know nice. while this was going on, and I said to him, "Okay, you know, come here, do do Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. uh, which he also <laughs> had very little interest in. Really, that surprises uh, me. Actually, you know, he uh, uh, he was not." He was not a real Fantastic Four fan growing up. Like when he and and much like you, he came in at a bad time. He came right. in when he started reading the book. Uh, you know, the first times he uh, encountered it was during the period where Sue was was divorcing Reed. Oh, and the yeah. family was all in <clears throat> crazy turmoil, and the the, the, the stories were were, were yeah. sort of bananas. Uh, and so he just never formed that attachment to it. Yeah. Uh, in the same way. But you know, I said to him, "Well, we've got we've got Ringo, uh, which is always good." Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, I just sort of talked him into it, <laughs> talked him through. Like, I think this is a thing you can do things yeah. with because, you know, it's at heart an optimistic series. Yeah. And I think you can, you know, you find the characters that you connect with, and uh, you know, just do what you do. Um, you know, put it back at the center of the Marvel universe. And right. he took a day or whatever, and came back and said, "Yeah, yeah, I think I can do this. Yeah, let's yeah. let's 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 do this." And so. Uh, you know, there they were, and then, uh, you know, so then there was all the months sort of leading up to that. You know, yeah, I remember there was a good deal of promotion. For yeah, them they weren't. You know, hiring them uh, was the first sort of move I had to make, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like I came in onto the book and I did that the next day. Mm. Um, you know, when I started, uh, Carlos Pacheco and uh, at the time Jeff Loeb was scripting him, uh, and they were wrapping things up. 
Uh, and so, you know, knowing they were wrapping things up, I needed to get a new team. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of job one. But really job one was finishing out that run. And then because Mark had a clause in his contract that after he left CrossGen, he couldn't compete with CrossGen yeah. for a couple of months. Yeah. Uh, we had to stretch. We had to we had to uh, start uh, the run later than it was intended. Right. Uh, so Adam Warren came in and did a three issue thing. Was that when Mark Bagley did some fill-ins there, or that was earlier? That was earlier. Bags. I remember. Drew, yeah, I remember the Inhumans. Yeah, Mark Bags Bagley stuff. drew Carlos's last story. Okay. Carlos and Rafael Marin, who was okay. his writing partner, um, they didn't, uh, Carlos didn't draw his last four parter. But he did. Uh, he did write it, and Bags drew it, nice. and Carl Kiesel scripted it. Now, obviously, I wasn't as <clears throat> I wasn't as kind of plugged into the comics review sphere as much then. I don't even, I don't even remember what the state of the internet was. <laughs> but I remember, <laughs> I remember this being a pretty like right out the gate, being pretty well received. Like people liked this. They were like, "Oh, Fantastic Four is is yeah. back." Not to short sell anything that like Carlos did or anything that Jeff did, sure, but this was sure. seen as kind of a no, High it was, water yeah, it was it was a it was a big deal, reasonably quickly. Yeah, I don't know. I tend to think that this story that we're talking about today, the unthinkable, yeah, is is mostly the story that put it on the map. Uh, Although the the first story was really good too. I don't know people. They don't get right. me wrong. People liked the book before. Sure, this, this was just but the in terms tipping point. Of, yeah, in terms of it being the the point where oh, this is a this is a big deal thing. You know, this this story had the advantage of it's a big Doctor Doom story. Yeah, it was a big, you know, action adventure thrill ride story. It led up to issue five hundred, right? Came issue five hundred again. Yeah. So it it had a lot of a lot of uh, 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 benchmarks built into it. So yeah, as you just said, unthinkable is basically Doctor Doom coming back. We learned there's the, one of my favorite issues. Favorite. I, keep, I don't know if you can call it a single issue because obviously it leads in the whole arc, but that prologue where we kind of get. Doctor Doom's whole backstory. That was entirely an afterthought. Really? Oh yes. That, uh, that was entirely. That the, pretty much that issue is the whole reason I'm in, in this podcast is to explain that issue. Really? Yeah, okay. That, that that's about it. All right. I want to get into that in a sec, but just like given like the whole overview was basically unthinkable as a big Doctor Doom story, and it was the whole switch was that. And correct me if I'm getting anything wrong. Um, Doctor Doom for years had been, you know, he dabbled in magic, but he'd always been primarily a technology guy. And he's like, I'm going to beat the Fantastic Four with technology. And this is his story where he says, okay, this hasn't worked, so I am going to become the greatest sorcerer on Earth. I'm going to basically sell my soul, do whatever I have to do, and that's a big plot point. And I am going to become incredibly magically powered. And he essentially destroys the Fantastic Four, really defeats them soundly, and challenges read like the only way you're going to save your family is you have to learn magic which is completely foreign right. to read which was my i love that as well that it really puts him in the box of you know this is the guy who can build a gadget to think his way out of anything mm-hmm. but you have to I, I it kind of felt like one of those even if you win you lose situations like in order to beat me you're gonna have to admit that you're wrong right which right. is what i i loved about the whole story but, yeah, so talk a little bit about that, that prologue issue, because I thought that prologue issue was amazing. Well, again, yeah. it, it, the fact that it was, it was an afterthought doesn't take away sure. from the work of the issue. Yeah. Uh, and it is a really good issue, and it's a really good lead-in to the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, uh, Marvel's president was a guy by the name of Bill Jemis, mm-hmm. and Bill had a number of strong theories on how to make comics, mm-hmm. um, one of which 
uh, was he hated flashbacks of any sort. Oh. Um, you know, he, he wanted to get into a story, just, you know, get in, start at the beginning and go, uh, and not, you know, not do flashbacks and not do Byzantine story structures and not do whatever. So the very, very first pass of what is now the second issue of the of the story um, you know, story opens and the FF are doing what they're doing and Valeria's there and Doom makes contact with Valeria and, uh, you know, Doom explains, you know, pretty much gives Valeria this sort of download of his history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it didn't work terribly well. Like, it was a lot of... It was a big info dump in the middle of this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, knowing the environment of, of the time... Uh, I knew that was going to be a problem, and so I called Mark up. I said, Mark, I don't think this this works. We need to do something else here, and he didn't know how to solve it at the time because, you know, you need to know all this stuff about Dr. Sure, Doom and his background and whatever, and somehow in the course of the of the phone conversation, we hit on the idea of, well, what if we did another issue, mm-hmm. you know, that was just, just the Doom setup, and, uh, you know, Mark eventually... Uh, found the the idea of uh, Doom searching the world for the previous Valeria, mm-hmm. his his old girlfriend, and doing just a real Doom focused story that got you into him, uh, told you everything you needed to know, and then you could go into the the, the subsequent issue, and that worked out really well. Right, uh, and you can still see like the the scene where Doom reaches out to Valeria in what's now the second part of this is still there. It's just yeah. it's just much more expedient yeah. uh, in in what it does. Uh, and so that was that was just a choice that uh, made the whole thing way, way better. I was going to say, in retrospect, opening, do you think the story would have had as much weight without the prologue issue? Um, probably not, um, which is why yeah. <laughs> all these decisions were, were good. It's good yes. editing uh, and mostly good writing and uh, good drawing. Yeah. But uh, you know, not uh, not uh, probably not in the in the slightest because that really you know, both sort of gave you here's the presses on on uh who doom is or what doom we're going to be dealing with mm-hmm. uh and here's doom doing an awful awful thing to right. establish who and what he is by the end of the issue you know i was it just occurred to me as you're saying that that this is obviously it's it's a pretty even though it's not doom today has kind of gone back to being classic doom but this with the time was a very big change for doom sure um it was a very big change in his status and his powers and his costume and also a huge, like you said, a huge act of evil. Now, in today's Marvel, this would probably be the type of thing you have to like bring up at a summit, say we're doing this to a big character, um, kind of take the temperature of everyone, like, <laughs> is this going to work? At this time, you guys were more or less off on your own, right? Um, to, Fantastic Four book. To some degree. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if... I don't think it would have been any. It would be any more difficult to do today than it was then. No, I'm not saying you couldn't do it. I just like the process would probably be different. No, I think I don't would, know. I think we would decide to do it, and then we would talk about. Yeah, you know, right. we'd mention that we were doing it in that yeah. room or whatever. But it wouldn't be right. Uh, it would necessarily be. Yeah, you know, unless somebody really, really had an yeah. objection to it. Um, yeah, which which people did mm-hmm. fans at the time. Yeah, I remember it was very polarizing. I mean, again, for me, not being a huge Fantastic Four fan, I was like, all right, I know who Doctor Doom is, but I'm not huge attached to him. So I thought this was really cool. I'm right? Like, oh wow, he's right. really nasty, and I got that. But I do remember knowing like hardcore Fantastic Four fans being like, this is not Doctor Doom. <laughs> right? Yeah, especially with the costume change and like he was wearing leather and stuff like that. Um, yeah, well, they, their their problem with it, yeah, the, the, I don't want to speak for all of them. I'm sure right, right. you know we'll get we'll get yeah, the, they'll, we'll they'll answering speak the for podcast. Who will yeah. 
people speak for themselves, but the, the thing that we heard the, the, the most about, uh, and, and again, it tends to be almost more the interviews mm-hmm. than the comics that you hear about. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Mark was very upfront and open about his take on Doom, uh, which is essentially, um, you know, Doom is not an honorable guy. Right. Doom is a bad guy who wants to be seen as an honorable guy. Right. And that's a that's a difference. And so yeah. people that liked Doom, the honorable enemy, yeah. didn't like the fact that Doom would do you know, some of the awful things in the way he would do them in this story. Right. Um, now, to me at least, I don't see a disconnect because I, I always go back to the to the Lee Kirby stuff. And sure. The, you know, the Lee Kirby Doom always talked a good fight. You know, yeah. it always, you know, there'd always be a lot of talk about how, you know, the Lord of Latveria does not right. lie. Uh, except well, he that, was the hero of his own story. Yeah, but except he was that definitely that, not, would, that yeah. would always come three pages after he had last lied. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, there was always, you know, Doom Doom puts on a show. Doom is the star of his sure. own his own uh, Wagnerian opera. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. You know, and so that's, you know, that that's the thing that sort of, you know, that Mark clicked into about his incarnation of Doom. Right. But they were certainly people that didn't like that. You know, we went down that, that road. So was the idea to do this story... I mean, obviously, it's a collaborative effort between everyone. But kind of the crux of, okay, this is what we want to do with Doctor Doom. Was that a Mark idea, or did that come from somewhere else? Um, I think it must have started as a Mark idea. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, you're doing Fantastic Four. You want to do a big Doom story. Mm-hmm. And much like uh, you know, most of the other long-running Marvel books of the period, uh, my feeling was that Doom had been watered down. There had been a lot of... Right sort of weak Doctor Doom appearances in the last 10 or 15, 20 years even. Mm-hmm. That, that, and, and that the, the, the good, the memorable, the, the, uh, uh, you know, the Doom appearances that really underlined his, underlined his status as the biggest, baddest guy of the Marvel Universe were few and far between. That to a large extent, he'd kind of been coasting on his reputation for a long while. Yeah. Uh, and I know so, a lot of Marvel villains felt like that in the yeah yeah early so 2000s. so really you know the, the the challenge with okay we're gonna do a big Doom story it wasn't just we're gonna do a big Doom story it's let's do a story or try to do a story that puts Doom back on you know on that scale and shows that he's that guy he's right. that formidable uh, he's that crafty he's that intelligent he's that nasty uh, you know he's that that everything and yeah. not lean on his rep. But show it again and put it right in front of you, um, you know, so that you know you you can take him as a serious threat. Because again, especially coming out of the 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 nineties, where particularly over on the the X side, like a lot of X yeah. villains were really ascendant in those days because they got used a lot and they they were accorded important whenever they would show up. So right. Mister Sinister or Apocalypse or any of those guys. Though they were big and Magneto and Doctor Doom somehow, you know, because yeah. he never fought the X Men pretty much, yeah. uh, you know, not so much. Um, so the the intention with the story was really just to go and you know re- recalibrate everybody's opinion on Doom and yeah. get him back up to uh, the level that he should be at. Visual redesign was that purely Ringo? Yes, purely yeah. purely Ringo, including the 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 sort of. Uh, uh, strange looking uh, uh, cape clasps. Yeah. 
with the oh, the striating pattern in them. I remember them. I mean, they they're very like, they memorable. Look, yeah, they always they I, they always looked like odd, uh, odd like screw heads or something to me. Like I, yeah. that was the one element of that that costume I didn't really care for. Yeah, but he did it. He he liked it. It was fine. Yeah, but they I mean they struck a chord. You remembered them. It oh was, yeah, it was definitely oh, yeah. a memorable design. For for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was all uh, that was all Ringo's design. Now, obviously, this was a big Doom story, but as you guys are crafting it, you know kind of where you're taking Doom. You know that you want to reestablish him, but obviously, going to, it's it's the 500th issue of Fantastic Four. They need to be a big part of this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you guys kind of figure out what do we want to get out of the FF side of this story as you're building it and making sure they have stakes and they well, I mean, move as characters also? You know, it's like any Fantastic Four story. You want mm-hmm. it to be about them and the character relationships, and you want to highlight mm-hmm. aspects of the characters that maybe you haven't seen before, and you want to see them work together effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you want to you uh, feel like whatever Jeopardy is going on is, is Jeopardy, it is personal, mm-hmm. um, which since so much of it revolved around the kids who were really kids at that point. Right. Uh, you know, very, very, uh, very easy to to push those buttons. Yeah. If you you know you drop Franklin to hell, you're you're kind of you're kind of there at that point. Yeah. Um. So uh, you know, beyond that, it was just okay. We're going to do Fantastic Four five hundred. So you want it to be big and good. Yeah. Uh, so apart <laughs> apart from that, you know, no pressure. Well, it's interesting because a lot of the comments we got from readers and kind of married mirrored that, my own. I think that too was the first, if I'm remembering right. Renumbered was the first book that we went back on the number. That's what I was. It was either that or Spider-Man, and I was trying to figure no, out. No, I think was. no. It was Fantastic Four was before Spider-Man. Yeah. there. Yeah, I yeah. Think it because was. because I know that I argued for that, and I know that Axel wouldn't have thought to argue for it on, on Spider-Man. Right. Not that he wouldn't have wanted to. He just wouldn't have. It wouldn't have stopped to have yeah. done the math and yeah. gone. All oh, right, that issue is actually yeah. issue five hundred. Well, that's when you guys had the little numbers underneath the big yeah, numbers. yeah, which we could never keep straight. No, and we screwed up. In which I didn't constantly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is why we stopped doing that yeah. because bad enough one number we can more or less handle can you two imagine, can you we up with 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 routine regularity can you imagine trying to do that today yeah <laughs> you can yeah yeah all right one There's of the things numbers on the cover one, one of the things we heard from a lot of readers and their responses one of the things that come for me as well is you know there's been a lot of talk in comics it's just it didn't i didn't pick the story for this reason it just happens to be a hot button topic lately you know like heroes having marriages heroes having families and how that screws up stories but going in i remember that was always one of the things about fantastic four i was like oh well they're settled down and you know they have kids and stuff like that then reading the story i was like this story if reed did not have the level of concern for not just his girlfriend or his teammate but his wife and moreover than that his children this story is not nearly as powerful and that's what a lot of comments said too they were like the fact that you know his son is in hell his daughter is a pawn in all this and his wife and his family is in jeopardy like that really made it work and to me i guess that was a breakthrough for me because i was like oh all right this is what you know going all the way back to san jack i was like this is why fantastic four is different than x-men yeah than avengers they are they they care about each other on a different level than like, okay, Hawkeye got kidnapped. We have to go get right. him out of hell. Right. It's this is my son is kidnapped, and that really something that I thought was I don't want to say negative, but something that turned me off to the book a little bit suddenly became the reason I wanted to read it more. Right. Well, there's no there's no one size fits all mm-hmm. when it comes to this sort of thing. There are certainly characters 
that I think work better if they are not married. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we make no bones about it. We think Spider-Man is better unmarried. Yeah. Now, you know, the podcast will get plenty of responses to to tell us how wrong (laughs) we are. But, uh, uh, you know... So, so, but it's not one size fits all, right? Uh, you know, I do not think that anything about Fantastic Four has been hurt by the fact that the cast is, you know, no. is, is a family unit and that Reed and Sue are married. Well, they've been married have for been, decades too. Yeah, yeah, far, far, far longer than they were than they were uh, separate. And yeah. if you separated them now or restarted it now. You know, you're either going to tell the same story they get right. together, or you're going to dance that story forever, or yeah. you're going to go in a different direction solely to go in a different direction. So Sue's dating Namor and Reed's yeah. dating Alyssa Moy or whomever, and yeah. and you know we'll dance around with that for a while. But you know there is sort of the inevitability because that's you know that's that's sort of the engine that makes the book go. That's the thing that Fantastic Four is that no other book is, or no other book was at least before it the family unit mm-hmm. as superheroes and so there it it works and you know you can try and fancy it up if you want to but it doesn't really it doesn't really benefit it at all um and there are other characters who work fine married as well so mm-hmm. it, again i don't think it's it's a yeah. one size fits all things you know you can ask the question which is a more legitimate question which i think is really at the the heart of that which is is it smart <laughs> for superheroes to be married, and right. the answer to that is really probably no, not. Of course not. Uh, and this story is a good example of that. You yeah. know, here are these these two poor young kids are yeah. subjected to horrible things. Yeah. Um, because of the building they happen to live in. Yeah. Uh, but you know that's that's all part of uh, fiction, and the idea that you know our characters or or any superheroic characters uh, shouldn't have lives because yeah. they're superheroes. That 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 kind of that kind of takes away what makes you relate to them right. as superheroes in the first place. I totally forgot until you were just talking about kind of the Franklin thing about the issues afterwards where Franklin was just like traumatized. Oh, yeah. And talk and was awful. Yeah, we, you know, again, we try to deal with the, the after effects of this and, you know, make it all feel legitimate. It's very mm-hmm. easy to just kind of wave your hands and move on to the, to the next thing. Um, and uh, you know, often that's the case because you're always you're always looking for the next big explosive, right. you know, big bang story. Well, I kind of want to finish with that and say, you know, this was obviously I don't know if this was like this was only like the second or third arc of Wade and Ringo's run. Well, it was pretty early on, right? It's I mean, it's the second trade. Yeah, but we didn't really think in terms of trades right. in those days as much. You know, we thought in terms of stories. Right. So you know, it was. It started with 67. Their first issue was 60. So, yep. like, their eighth issue was the Doom issue. So, this is pretty early on in their run. Um, how much did you guys know about, all right, this is where we want to head post-Unthinkable? Or was the type of thing where, after Unthinkable, you kind of game-planned what came next? Um, I, I tend to think we fire-bucketed that one after another after right. another, which tends to be the way that Mark uh, works. All right, so it wasn't, yeah. like, a grand no, scheme. No, it was, it was a grand scheme that, that, that came together bit by right. bit by bit. You know, it, was now anti, we're, it was the anti-Hickman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, now we're here, and I think this as a result. Right. And I always sort of suspect that Mark is at least half a step further ahead than yeah. he thinks he is or he says he is. Yeah. Uh, at least wrong. in terms of stuff that interests him, or I might want to do something with that. So I, I, I imagine that he probably had the seed for the next arc. You know, certainly at some point in this, in writing this story, um, but probably more towards the beginning than than he may remember or may even really realize. Right. Anything else you want to 
say about unthinkable um, memories, stuff like that? <laughs> the uh, the second you won't. I don't know if you can tell this from the uh, from the the collections. But, right. You know the covers are at the second cover. Uh, almost caused a riot. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. The second cover, which is the cover of Val sitting there yep. with the Doom blocks. Really? Which is a great cover. This is a great cover. Uh, and in fact, it's a cover that, you know, all three of us, myself, Mark, and Ringo, all came up with that idea independent of one another, mm-hmm. which meant that it was the right idea. Right. But uh, in the same way, uh, that uh, Bill had very strong ideas about storytelling. He had very strong ideas about covers. Yeah. Uh, at the time, uh, he was looking a lot at mainstream magazine publishing, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, so he had a bunch of of, of things. And that cover uh, matches all of those criteria that mm-hmm. he had. You know, he liked single figure covers, mm-hmm. or 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 you know maybe two figures mm-hmm. if you had to. But you know, he he would tend to want to get away from groups of 40 or 50 guys fighting um you know very very basic compositions you know almost you know what we call iconic covers today just show the characters doing their doing their thing they don't need to be story related specifically and if you can get a woman on the cover all the better like you like to have covers that were hot women uh and so it sort of fit all those criteria um but but uh, it was in the, the catalog for that month and it just it set off uh <laughs> Like a, a, a crap store, because hmm. um, you know, you know, he it 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 it, it met the letter of the law, but not the right. spirit of the law, yeah. so to speak. Um, but uh, you know, but it uh, it got through. It saw print, yeah. so <laughs> it's and it's another thing I remember very well, and, and it's, it's, it's and it it's worked. creepy, but uh, but I remember there was a lot of drama around it at the time. So it sounds like there was some drama in getting this story pushed through, but at the end of the day, it's you know seen as something of a classic. Yeah, and, and not as much drama as, as there would soon be. Sure. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, That's uh, a whole other podcast. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah. So all right. Well, we're going to get to reader questions and comments in a bit, but I want to thank you for uh, for stopping by, sharing sure memories. We'll do some more of these down the road. All right. So we'll be right back with your uh, with your questions and comments, guys. Okay. What you guys just heard was me talking to Tom Brevoort about what we're about to cover this week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club, Fantastic Four, Unthinkable. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was a real treat for me. That was one of the first stories I read when I got back into comics and kind of hearing the behind the scenes from Tom. It was a lot of fun. He had a lot of really interesting stuff to say that I wasn't expecting. I didn't know how much he'd want to get into it. We got into a lot of stuff. So I uh, hope you guys dug it. And we'll try to get more creators and editors who are involved in Reading Club entries involved as we go. But let's hear what you guys had to think, uh, had to say, and what you thought about Fantastic Four Unthinkable. I'll kick it off, and then uh, Blake will read some as well. But starting off, Stephen Barr said that Reed confessing his ignorance as the key to unlock the power to beat Doom and Unthinkable, priceless, as is the moment he gets it. Going over to Kyle Charles, Johnny Timpulse 10, just finished the prequel to Fantastic Four Unthinkable, and man, Dr. Doom has serious issues. I felt sorry for him, then Swerve, and then Tech Lord Lex Pendragon 10 says that was the best part, which I tend to agree. That uh, prologue issue is just awesome, as I spoke about with Tom. More from Kyle Charles. I always wondered why Doom was Valeria's godfather and where they got her name from. I'm always learning something new. 
why would you leave Johnny in charge of your finances? I'm sure nothing good can come from this. Uh, you should keep reading Mark Wade's Fantastic Four, Mike, Mark Wade and Mike Lorengo's, and you can see what good or bad does come from it. Doom really knows how to get into people's heads. Also, nice cameo by Doctor Strange in issue two. Wow, Doom really stuck it to read in issue three. What he did to Stu and Ben was pretty messed up. Yeah, that was, uh, I remember reading at the time, just being like, wow, this book is a lot darker than I thought. Did Doom have magic powers before this, or was this the first time he displayed them? Robert Nolan says, even though I've not read it yet, he does later, out of context, I can say, Doom has had magic since year dot. What does that mean, year dot? So he's a British, huh? Oh, Oh, all right. So it's something British. Yeah, but something Doom, British. Doom's always dabbled in magic, but technology's been his main thing. Issue 500 was awesome. Even in his final moments, Doom is still a D-bag. Love the artist on this story arc. It suits the story and the family uh, dramatic. Yeah, I want to take a sec to say the artist on this story arc is Mike Waringo, who is legendary. Uh, sadly, he passed away a few years ago. He's very young, um, but he's incredibly talented. So if you guys... I was, I was surprised to hear someone go, the artist, but if you're a newer reader... You probably don't know who Michael Ringo is, which is a shame. But Michael Ringo did some amazing stuff on Fantastic Four. Uh, he did some stuff with uh, there was a Spider Man, some Spider Man Fantastic Four series he did. But he did a lot of great stuff just and for here and at other companies. You definitely, if you're a comics fan, owe it to yourself to track down Michael Ringo's work. He did a lot of stuff with Mark Wade as well, so that was very cool. What a good choice for this week's reading club. I have never really been into the Fantastic Four except the old cartoons. If you heard me with Tom, which you did because you're listening to this podcast, then you know I was the same way. So what happened to Reed after this story arc, and when did Valeria age to be older than Franklin? Uh, you should keep reading on Marvel Unlimited to see what happened to Reed because this is actually a really interesting time in the Fantastic Four's history, and for Reed in particular, this story arc haunts him for like the rest of Mark Wade's run essentially. And the Valeria stuff, when she was older than Franklin, actually took place before this, and I was not really reading then, so I don't really know what's going on. And finally, when you click into issue 500, it shows a panel of Howard the Duck. I thought he was going to make a cameo, but I was wrong. Sorry about that. Sorry to get your hopes up. Next we have Penelope Cat 14 goes through a ton of issues. Starts with FF 68. FF is at its best when it's about family, not superheroics. Love how the threat here is a threat to the family. It's deep. I like that. FF68, once again, these trinary aliens evoke the spirit of Kirby without slavishly imitating his art. Mike Riringo. Yeah, Mike Riringo, the artist we were just talking about. Was there there anything he couldn't draw well? Sci-fi or horror and comedy all in one book. Number 69... What keeps Reed from staying focused? A threat to his kids. 69 as well. Ben suggesting Sue stay behind while the men go off to rescue Franklin. Is he asking to get slapped? You say stuff like that all the time. Well, is he asking to get slapped? Yeah, and so are you. Uh, 69 once again. The full page shot when the FF find Doom is gorgeous. I want a poster. I remember the storyline was controversial, but I don't remember why. Usual fan overreaction. Hysteria is about all I recall. Tom and I got into this a little bit, but a lot of the controversy with this storyline was that this was the first time Mark Wade was writing Doctor Doom, and his take on Doctor Doom number one, he changed kind of his powers from science to magic. He had a very dramatic visual reinterpretation, which I think was the first time Doom ever really had a new costume. He'd always had the same one since originally. But like Tom talked about, the biggest thing was just that 
Doom in this story was an out-and-out villain who was a guy who did bad things. Some past Fantastic Four writers have kind of written him as being more noble and kind of being like, you know, he's not totally a bad guy, but Mark Wade really got back to, no, Doom is a bad guy, and some people didn't like that, and some people did. And you're welcome to your opinion. Is there a poster, though? I don't know. This was years ago. Uh, uh, Finally, for FF69 by Penelope Cat. Also, the cameo by Doctor Strange makes me want to read Wade's recently added to MCU Strange Mini. You should. It's really good. Next, FF70. Now, Mindless Ones. Really going to have to read some Doctor Strange soon. Also in 70. I I know it all works out, but things seem very harrowing for our heroes. Truly effective work by Wade and Marengo. 70, finally, once again. Doom shows a lot of self-awareness in his rant. And then in FF500, love the twists of the world's smartest man forced to deal with something he completely cannot understand. And fantastic art by Raringo. He captures the mood of every scene, magic, action, whatever, perfectly. And then I'd forgotten the twist at the end. Now I need to read the rest of Wade's run again. Can't remember what happens next. Overall, a great FF run takes them to an unfamiliar place while remaining true to the characters and spirit of the book. Think my enjoyment was enhanced because I just read the new Doctor Doom, Doctor Doom, Doctor Strange Triumph and Torment collection. Yeah, I actually just read that last week, and that's a really good companion piece for this story because it's another Doctor Doom magic story, and Doctor Strange is in both. So yeah, good thoughts, Penelope Cat. Over to Robert Nolan, Ref Gemlin, fourteen. Unthinkable starts with your typical visit to a street level fortune teller. They say a few stock phrases. You do the talking. Next, Victor visits the New Orleans fortune teller. A must if you ever want to get anywhere, apparently. Is it that Victor is walking around a psychic shanty town that everyone's cool to him looking like Madame Mask's big brother? Then he learns a new word, ignoble, not honorable in character or purpose, of humble origin or social status. Do you know that one? No. Another no, I word. did. Another new word. <laughs> Paroxysm. A sudden attack or violent expression of a particular emotion or activity. Did you know that one? No, I didn't know that one. You did. I didn't know that. That was right. a new one for me. Wow, up until that page, I was totally on Victor's side, but no, he's a nut job. Is this the origin of Doom's hell armor? I've only seen it during his return when Mjolnir smashes through reality post-Ragnarok. This is the origin of his hell armor. The end of Fantastic Four 67 was a four logo, which I thought was the Avengers. I'd love to see a logo for an FF Avengers squad. Be interesting. Often forget that Fantastic Four primarily explores. Issue 68 reasserts that and progresses the story at the same time. Recent events uh, in regards to comic book characters that get married, taking the fun out of the stories, having to take Reed and Sue into account. It's another thing Tom and I spoke about. Okay, you arm candlesticks. Victor's certainly gone for old school druid chic at Casa Von Doom. It's much same trappings as Casa Von Garris. Okay. I like how you say ooh. Why? You're like, I say ew. 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 How do you say it? Ooh. Ooh. Ew. You're such a man. I like that Mark Wade writes Doom as the intellectual he's meant to be without dumbing down his speech for readers. Another new word learned maladroit. Ineffective or bungling, clumsy. Do you know that one? I knew that maladroit was a word. Yes, as did I, and I knew it. I think this would mess most parents up, let alone the Fantastic Four, and that is a shot of uh, Valeria saying her first word, and it is doom. So that is pretty freaky. Hmm. Uh, Back in this week in Marvel, 
number 98 didn't someone want to know if reed had ever been scared that was a question we were asked and then we get a panel of reed freaking out because he's losing his family and his children so there he looks scared look at that face he's clearly scared he's yelling no he has his eyes and abject terror he's like no what does that look like to you what emotion do you think that is more of a anger anger he doesn't look angry though <laughs> Check this out for yourself. And, you know. I always wanted to know about Valeria's involvement with Doom. Oh, we already read that one. Now you know the answer to that. I'm so glad I got into Marvel Unlimited. It allows Tomo, who I believe is his child, to read X-Men to his heart's content. and allows me to take part in Twim URC. The great cover from Fantastic Four 69 made me wonder, who's the better weaponsmith, Reed or Tony? Uh, Reed actually generally invents stuff that is not weaponry as you saw in this story he can but that's kind of like tony's specialty so mm. like iron man's the better weapon maker as for who's the better inventor that is up in the air and fantastic Four Sixty Nine reminded me just how much i like johnny storm as a hero oddly enough the only one of the ff that's not an avenger it was a little odd what's creepier valeria speaking in doom's voice or being all creepy and commanding in her toddler voice and we get another uh picture with valeria's little baby going soon enough richard's which is pretty great. The drama in Fantastic Four is well-written and proves that you can tell a story with married couples, families, and relationships. Poor Franklin, manhandled by demons. It's like Inferno all over again. That kid's therapy bill must be huge. I should talk to Tim Stevens about that, how much he would charge for therapy. Get you a deal. I don't know about that. I don't know if it's a deal to get to see Tim. <laughs> Fantastic Four number 69 was Ace. Johnny tries to be the hero, Ben being the one with a clear view, Sue fighting for her children, and Reed getting thrown by the involvement of magic as it trumps everything he knows and has faith in. Originally, I thought that Victor was kind of sadistic, but when he puts Reed in the library and basically goads him to earn magic, pow. You're a Johnny guy, right? I love Johnny. Yeah. yeah. He's like sassy. Yeah, he's my favorite. Like you. Who's your favorite? The thing? You like? How can you like Johnny Storm and Iceman? Because they have similar personalities. They do. Because they have different powers. Who's your favorite Fantastic Four character? Oh, that's a tough... Johnny. Yeah? That makes sense. I was going to say a thing, just because you're both, like, very grumpy. But, you, wow. know, you know what's up. Johnny Storm, he's, he's the man. When you seem like a Johnny Storm guy. Yeah, so do you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, is that, like, the big compliment, saying you seem like a Johnny Storm guy? As well. <laughs> Watching Doctor Strange try to teach Reed magic is something I'd never considered, and it's enjoyable, relevant with both characters. That is really great. Doctor Strange gets super frustrated, because Reed, as smart as he is, has no idea what he's doing. And we get, this was a laugh out loud moment for me. Some great thinking by Reed and great writing by Mark Wade, And that is how Reed ultimately tricks Doom into losing. So if you haven't read it yet, uh, go and give that a look. Finally, Unthinkable was a great choice for Tum URC. It was really fun to read. Some great drama and a good look into some major characters. A testament to Tum URC. Mark Wade's Fantastic Four Unthinkable is now on my list of books to buy for the bookshelf. A great FF tale. Glad you guys dug it. Glad we were able to talk to Tom about it. And uh, I really encourage you, if you liked this, read Mark Wade Micro-Ringo's full run, because I think it's all on Marvel Unlimited, and it's all really good. Uh, they just That's one of my favorite Fantastic Four runs. That's, that's the run that made me a Fantastic Four fan. I was never into Fantastic mm. Four before that. They were always the not-cool Marvel team, because they weren't the X-Men or the Avengers. So you really get a sense of that. All right, for next time, Tim URC. Well, first of all, next week... It's episode 100. Wow. And I'm not going to be here. Because I'm going to Europe. Europe on Friday. So I want to say now, quick thank you to everyone who has gotten us to 
100 episodes. It's crazy. And that's just of this one over on the minis. I mean, we've got to have almost 200, right? Uh, yeah, 160. We have a lot. But 100 episodes of this regular one is crazy. When we started this, we didn't know it was going to last, you know, a month. And we've gone 100 straight weeks. Never missed a week. A lot of that thanks to this man sitting across from me who edits all our podcasts. It's you. It's you. So. You and Ryan. It's crazy. It's been awesome. Uh, if I get a chance to record for something for 100, then I will. But if I don't, thank you to all you guys. And uh, it really means a lot that you dig this podcast so much. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's uh, edition of the This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club. I certainly did. Now, for next time around, it's going to be October. And we're going to be on Marvel.com for the month of October celebrating the 50th anniversary of the X-Men. So we decided we're doing all X-Men stories. Really excited about this. And the first one that Ryan picked before he left is a classic. It's the Dark Phoenix Saga. I'm going to be putting that up in the reading club. If not, by the time this episode is up, then shortly after. So keep checking back. Read the Dark Phoenix Saga on Marvel Unlimited. And be sure to use the hashtag... T-W-I-M-U-R-C to send us your thoughts on it and we'll be discussing that in two weeks on episode 101. So Blake, that was it man, you were back. Man. How was it? It was uh, like riding a, a bike. Yeah? Well, hope you guys enjoyed having Blake back. I want to be in on one where there's real Twitter questions. questions. Well you should I'm not going to be here next week. Maybe My be comedy week. does not suffice for these questions. Well maybe you should get in on 100 with Ryan next week. You should maybe. talk to him. Hey, listeners, make it known you want my comedy. What if they don't? You still want it. All right. Well, listen, guys, thank you very much for tuning in this week. Thanks to Mark for his correspondence. Thanks to Blake for stepping in and being a great co-host, just a great human being. And thanks to all you guys for writing in. Extra special thanks for Tom for giving up his time and sitting down with us. Until next time, this is Marvel, your universe.